Fairly recently, the U.S. State Department reasserted it as one of the uh, worst religious persecutors, torturing and executing those even suspected of worshiping God. And uh, you know what's really surprising? You, you may not have known this, but uh, from the uh, the late 19th century until the uh, time of the Korean War. North Korea was a, a Christian stronghold, and uh, Paul, uh, Pyongyang was the, was considered the uh, Jerusalem of of the East. And uh, you know now it's it's anything but friendly to the faithful. But um, believe it or not, Christianity is still increasing in this uh, this deeply tyrannical country. According to the Voice of the Martyrs, despite efforts to eradicate Christians, we have found that the church in North Korea is actually growing. And uh, they only know that God is powerful enough to break through the darkness of the most oppressive regime in the world. I think that's pretty remarkable. And, you know, North Korea is not the only country where uh, followers of Christ faith face persecution. Hannah, could you show that map? This is a map of the world. And this this slide shows the countries where being a Christian is the most dangerous. Uh, Red indicates uh, extreme persecution. Brown is uh, very high persecution. And the, uh, the greenest country is Let's see, brown is very high, green is, is high. Do we see any green in there? I don't see any green. Colors aren't coming through. Anyway, you know, the, the point is there, there are many, many countries where it's, it's very dangerous to be a Christian. And, uh, you know, the thing is, followers of Christ have always faced persecution uh, by uh, varying degrees. Uh, this, this morning, we're going to look at some persecution that happened at the time of Christ where... Uh, John the Baptist was was murdered for the stand that he took. Well, last week we left off in uh, the Gospel of Mark, chapter six, with Jesus sending out, out the uh, the twelve apostles. You know, Jesus Jesus sent them out. These were these were the uh, the disciples who had been with him. They had. Uh, been learning from him. Remember back in chapter three, he it says they had or that, that Jesus appointed them so that they would be with him, and that they would be sent out to uh, to preach and have authority over the uh, the evil spirits. You know they've they've been under his instruction. They've been with him as as he went around preaching and and healing people, casting out demons and. You know, more and more people are, are hearing about Jesus. Jesus is presenting the, the gospel, and so are the disciples. So, you know, more and more people are hearing about Jesus. They've not only heard about him, about Jesus from his own ministry, but the disciples as well. So uh, this is why Jesus sent them out. This is why Jesus sent the uh, disciples out to preach. You know, he gave them the responsibility uh, not only to, to say what Jesus said, but to do the things that Jesus had done. 
And so they're, they're, uh, they're going out to this area around the region of Galilee, the area where Jesus had grown up. And they're preaching about repentance. Jesus has given them authority to preach. He's given them authority to heal and to cast out demons. And uh, now Jesus' fame is, is spreading. It's, it's uh, spread so far that it's reached uh, King Herod. And this is where we pick up today in uh, Mark 6.14. Now, we've, we've seen already in the Gospel of Mark that Mark likes to... Uh, structure the the narrative so that a lot of times one piece of the narrative is is sandwiched in between another narrative we see this here on on the outer ends of of this sandwich so to speak is is Jesus sending out the uh the apostles you know the beginning he sends them out at the end it, it says they came back but in the middle we have this uh this narrative about John the Baptist At the end, you know, it says that uh, they returned. Jesus told them all. He returned to Jesus, told them all they had uh, done and taught. And I believe Mark puts this here like this. He structures this as uh, a, a teaching about discipleship, about what it costs to be a disciple. What are the responsibilities of the, of a disciple? You know, what's at stake when, when we faithfully fulfill our mission the way John the Baptist fulfilled his? You know, last week we talked about how Jesus gave the disciples instruction as he was, as he was sending them out, telling them that uh, they very well may encounter rejection. Remember, he said, you may go, you may go to a city and, and the people won't listen to you. And if, if that happens... That's okay. Just shake the dust off your feet. Go to the next one. Go to people who, who will hear. Now Mark places this story of John the Baptist's death, uh, death to show the ultimate rejection of a disciple. You know, we look at the uh, as we look around the, at the events surrounding John's imprisonment and death. There are some takeaway for for all disciples. And uh, you know, by the way, background. Remember, John the Baptist is is considered to be the last Old Testament prophet. He was the one who who announced the uh, the coming of the Messiah. He was the forerunner of Jesus. And uh, every gospel really begins with John the Baptist. You know, whether it's at the very beginning or, or at least in the first chapter. You know, that's. Uh, that's how significant his, his ministry was. Jesus said of, of John the Baptist elsewhere, Matthew eleven eleven. Truly I say to you that among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. You know, the, the greatest man, the greatest prophet of all. You know, not only the forerunner of Jesus, but John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. And it uh, it also helps when we when we read through this story to have some background on on King Herod. Uh, king Herod was was not really what we would consider a king. He was actually a governor of a of a province of a, of a region. Uh, this this King Herod was uh, called a, a tetrarch, 
And he was a governor over uh, one-fourth of the uh, Roman province of Palestine. Uh, there were many people in the, in the New Testament who were, who were called Herod. So this can be confusing. In, in fact, there were, there were six men in the Bible who were, who were called Herod. And the first was uh, Herod the Great. Herod the Great. Uh, he was the ruler over the region of Palestine. Uh, the Roman Senate gave Herod the, the title King of the Jews. And he was, he was famous for, for building great projects. The, the greatest of, of his building projects was the uh, reconstruction of the temple in Jerusalem. So you might, li- you might look at him and say, you know, he's done some, some great things. But this is also the Herod who, after murdering his oldest son, he ordered the uh, execution of all the young male children two years and old or two years old and, and under in, in and around Bethlehem. You remember that story when Jesus was born. You know, he did this in order to preserve his title of king of the Jews, you know, because the, the Magi had told him, you know, they were looking for, for the king of, of the Jews who had just been born. And um, yeah, Herod, Herod the Great did some great things, but he wasn't all that great. He murdered his wife. He had her executed. He had many of his children and other relatives executed. Uh, when he died, his kingdom was split among some of his sons. Uh, Ar- Archelaus uh, would be the, uh, the king of Judea and Samaria. Uh, Philip with uh, Antipas shared the remainder as uh, tetrarchs. Uh, the king who, or the, the king Herod who imprisoned John the Baptist now in Mark chapter 6 was uh, Antipas, Herod Antipas. And what follows is Mark's account of the murder of John the Baptist by Herod Antipas. You know, it's also a foreshadowing of the rejection and, and the murder of Jesus. So read with me. We're finally to the uh, text here. It's Mark chapter 6, 14 through 20. Mark 6, 14 through 20. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. This is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah. And others said he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard it, he said, John, who, I'm, who I beheaded, has, has been raised. For it was Herod who had, who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet heard him gladly. Well, there's three, three things that, that I'd like for us to bear in mind as we, uh, as we look at this story. First, uh, yeah, and this is all about disciples. It's all about discipleship. First, disciples represent Jesus. 
True disciples are representatives of Jesus. They're his witnesses. Second, disciples must speak the truth, even even when it's difficult, even when it's costly. And, And that takes us to the third, that disciples must count the cost of discipleship. So it says that King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. You know, disciples represent Jesus. It, the it that Harold had Herod, not Harold, sorry. The it that Herod had, had heard of was, was the message of, of repentance and the word of the miracles that were, that were taking place, you know, not only directly by Jesus, but by his disciples. Remember, Jesus had given the disciples the authority to go out and, and perform these signs and wonders. So uh, Jesus' fame is spreading. You know, the disciples represent Jesus because they're sent by him. You know, that word apostle means messenger. It means someone who is sent, someone who has been, you know, commissioned by, by somebody else. They're going on his behalf. So the, it was the message of repentance, the word of miracles that had taken place. The disciples represent Jesus because they are sent. In last week's sermon, we, we left off with Jesus sending them out. Remember, he sent them out two by two. As apostles, they were sent by Jesus. They, they preached to the people the message that they should repent that they should have a, a, a change of mind about Jesus, that they should turn from their sin and turn to the Lord. So they went out two by two in the region of Galilee, town to town, as Jesus' authorized representatives. They represent him. They had his authority. They, they uh, ministered in his name. You know, it says Jesus had appointed them and called them apostles in uh, chapter 3.14. So they're, they're messengers, they're, they're envoys. Jesus had appointed them. Well, the Greek word is uh, apostolos. So this is one of those words that's not really translated, it's just transliterated. You know, they, de- they delivered, again, the message of repentance, which was the same message that Jesus had. Jesus sent them appointed them that they might be with him, that they might, that he might send them out to preach, to have authority to cast out demons. The message they were given was to proclaim what Jesus proclaimed. Now, these first 12 men had a, a specific position of apostleship. You know, we'll, we'll call them big A apostles. They're, you know, they, they were appointed by Jesus directly to uh, provide the foundation of, of the church. It says in Ephesians two nineteen through 20, speaking of the church, calling it the household of God, which is built on the foundation of the, the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the, the chief cornerstone. So these big A apostles, you know, they were, uh, there was a very specific criteria given to the church when, uh, in, in the book of Acts, when uh, Judas was, was being replaced it's the replacement person must be one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning the from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us. One of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. 
So, you know, really, all the people who met these requirements uh, died off in the first century. You know, John was, was the last one. He died as a very old man. The rest of them were, were martyred. They were, they were murdered for, for their witness. You know, in, in another sense, all believers, we'll call it, all believers are, are what maybe we'll call the small a, little a apostles, because we are sent. You know, we were given the, the, the commission to, uh, to be his witnesses, you know, to proclaim, proclaim the gospel, the good news of Jesus, you know, messengers commissioned by Christ. This is, you know, this is the sense in which we're all Jesus' representatives on earth. We are all his, his ambassadors to the world. Also, when people see us, they, they should think of Jesus. When people see us, in a, in a way, they should, they should see Jesus. You know, notice how right after this section of the, the disciples going out, it says that Jesus' name had become known. It didn't say the, the apostles' names had, been, been, had become known, but that Jesus' name had become known. Um, you know, there's, there's nothing about... Peter and, and James and John. It's all about Jesus. Nothing about how these 12 had cast out demons, about how excellent they were in, at oration, but because of their, their message and their ministry, Jesus' name had, had become known. You know, this is, this is how people should see us as, as Jesus' disciples. You know, when, when somebody meets us, they, they should say, you know, that, that person uh, loves Jesus. You know, eyes on Jesus, not, not on us. We should, we should never draw attention to ourselves but to him. You know, we want people to see Jesus through us. Amen. Well, so, you know, people, we represent Jesus. People should see Jesus. Second point is that uh, disciples need to speak the truth. Disciples need to speak the truth. Uh, you know, we can, we can say that John the Baptist truly was, was Jesus' first disciple. We speak about who Jesus is, who Jesus is. You know, there are a lot of misconceptions about who Jesus is. And, and you know, Mark reports some of them. Some said that Jesus was Elijah, Remember, Elijah was a mighty prophet in, in the Old Testament. You know, he was, he was one of the big guns. Not only did he bring new revelation about God and from God, but he, he performed miracles. He did these things. Malachi prophesied that in the, la, in the last two verses of, of the Old Testament, in fact, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of his fathers to their children and to the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So there's this anticipation of Elijah's return before the great day of the Lord in which God will judge the wicked and, and you know, the righteous will be rewarded. You know, Elijah had performed several miracles. He raised the widow's son from the dead. Uh, well, Jesus had... <laughs> 
done these kind of things, right? He raised uh, Jairus' daughter from the dead. Elijah prayed and the rain stopped. There was a drought for three and a half years. He prayed again and it rained again. Well, Jesus demonstrated power over the weather. Remember on, on the lake when he, he said, peace, be still, and the storm was, was calm. So, you know, you can see how people might think that Jesus is Elijah. At least he reminds them of, of Elijah. It says that some people thought he was a, a prophet of old. You know, by, by the time the first century came, there had not been a prophet for uh, a few hundred years. You know, there's kind of a, a, a shortage of, of prophets, a shortage of a word from the Lord. And, uh, you know, this was until John the Baptist came to the scene. You know, the first prophet to come for, for several hundred years. He was the uh, forerunner of Jesus. You would, you know, you'd see how many people would think, well, maybe, maybe Jesus was a new prophet. He's performing miracles. He's, he's bringing new revelation from God, doing the things that prophets do. Uh, you know, there, there had to have been a lot of uh, rumors circulating. You know how it is when, when something spectacular happens. Uh, you know, there's probably different versions that people are talking about. You know, this guy's building up fame and... You know, some thought he was, it says, some thought he was John the Baptist returned from the dead. That's, that's what Herod was thinking. And it apparently terrified him. You know, apparently he didn't, he didn't know about Jesus except through the stories, bits and pieces of, of things relayed to him. Uh, from the rumor mill, you know, uh, he didn't know that Jesus had lived and grown up alongside John the Baptist. In the, in the first century, you couldn't do a fact check. You couldn't, you couldn't get on your computer and, and verify information. You couldn't uh, see if the rumors are true. But, you know, all he knew there was this guy who was preaching about repentance, just like John the Baptist did. He's, he's preaching about the kingdom of God, just as John the Baptist had. And he was performing miracles, you know, their, their knowledge, the people's knowledge of, of who Jesus was was incomplete at this time. Even, even the disciples didn't quite have a good handle on, on who Jesus was. But even so, as the disciples went out, they proclaimed Jesus as they did know him and what they did know about him. You know, it's very interesting when you get to chapter 8, uh, you know, Jesus is going to ask the disciples, well, who do, who do the people say I am? And you hear kind of the same, the same thing, you know, they'll, they'll reply, some say he's Elijah, some a prophet, some John the Baptist raised from the dead. And Jesus will ask his disciples, well, who do you say I am? And a light bulb goes off in, in, in Peter's head. He's, he realizes at that point, Jesus is the son of God. That's a key moment in, in this gospel account. In chapter 6, though, here where we're at, they didn't have, quite have a handle on that yet. You know, Jesus had sent them out anyway, though. And they preached. And they performed miracles. 
There's a, there's a lesson in this for us. You know, people, some people might think, well, when you're saved, when you come to the Lord Jesus, you're not qualified to tell people how to uh, come to him. Or people might think that themselves. Well, you know, I, I don't know the Bible inside and out. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a babe in Christ. But, you know, I've known a lot of people who've been led to the Lord Jesus by other people who've only been saved for a very short amount of time, sometimes even just days. You know, I would say any and, and all believers should be proclaiming the gospel of, of Jesus Christ. And, and God's, God will keep teaching us as, as we go along. Well, disciples also speak the truth about sin. You know, John the Baptist got, John the Baptist got in trouble with, with King Herod because he pointed out that Herod's marriage was sinful. Uh, this, you know, this sermon is a little bit of a, a history level uh, lesson. Uh, Herod had converted to Judaism, so you know he should have been expected to obey the uh, Old Testament laws, which you know say a man shall not take his brother's wife. Uh, you know, I, I used to work with some guys in Colorado, hanging drywall. Brothers, three brothers. They're they're very close. They had a they had a little gospel band they would they would play music they would uh, you know they, they they seemed like very good christians they they would witness to to others uh, they made really good music together until they didn't the oldest one married his the youngest one's bro, uh, wife the oldest brother married the youngest brother's wife they both divorced their their spouses, and the whole affair just completely destroyed the family. You know, I, I talked last week about how we need to call sin for what it is. Sin is, is sin. We need to recognize that. It's rebellion against a holy God. You know, it's disobeying God. As, as Christians, we, you know, what should we do if one of our fellow believers is involved in sin? Uh, Paul gives us really good instructions in Galatians. Chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. We need to call sin, sin, and it's, it's our responsibility to restore a brother who's caught in sin. You know, we can, we can err if we, if we go, go to the extreme on either either end of the spectrum here, though. You know, the first extreme is just to ignore it. That's not going to help. The second extreme is just to let them have it with, with both barrels. You know, according to Paul here, our, our approach needs to be in a spirit of, of humility and, and gentleness. You know, Ephesians 4.15 talks about speaking the truth in love. You know, some, some people are truth only and, uh, you know, they, they tend to be harsh. They tend to lay guilt on others, condemnation. Uh, other people are love only and, and, you know, these people just pretend that nothing is wrong. Billy Graham had um, a relationship with, with many presidents. He was kind of the pastor to many presidents. Uh, even 
even a non-president, another leader, Queen Elizabeth, you know, he had uh, access to her. She had access to him. He was able to give spiritual advice. Um, and I, I'm sure he called several presidents in private on, on their sins. You know, I, I would hope that uh, every president should have someone like this uh, to provide spiritual guidance. But uh, here we have John the Baptist having this relationship with, with King Herod. Yeah, I thought about this a lot this week. You know, I wonder if John's talks with Herod were in private or whether it was all in public. You know, did he blast him publicly? I, I, I tend to think that he had a private audience with Herod, though, just because it says that Herod, Herod was perplexed, but he heard him gladly. You know, I think this would probably indicate the, the attitude that he would have if John had you know, at least given some of his, his advice to him in private. Uh, maybe not private enough, though. though you know, Herod's wife wanted John dead for the truth that he spoke. That's what happened. And so the third point is that you know, disciples must count the cost of discipleship. John the Baptist's situation here was, was like Elijah's situation when Elijah spoke out against King Ahab. Ahab's wife, uh, Jezebel, hated Elijah and plotted against him. She put him in prison. Let's, let's continue reading our text in, in uh, Mark 6, chapter 6, verse 21. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you, up to half of my kingdom. And he went out and said to her mother, or she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. And he went and beheaded him in prison. And he brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. When the disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Now, what's the cost of discipleship? You know, for for John the Baptist, it was his head. Jesus was rejected. Jesus was killed. Um... You know, Jesus said that the, the Jewish leaders claimed that John had a demon. You know, the, disciples, the disciples were rejected by most of their fellow Jews. Uh, they were rejected by much of the, uh, the pagan world around them. Like I said earlier, 11 of them were, were martyred for their faith. You know, many Christians around the world are rejected and disowned by their families because of their witness. Disciples may be imprisoned. 
Herod Philip I was, in fact, Herod Antipas's brother. You know, I said there's all these Herods. Herodias was the daughter of Aristobulus, the son of Herod the Great and Mariamne, and therefore she was the, the niece of Herod Antipas. It was unlawful for Herod to marry Herodias because their marriage was incestuous. It was also adulterous, you know, because Philip was, was still alive. So, you know, kind of a pretty bad situation here. And it seems that uh, John's disavowal of, of Herod's incestuous marriage to his brother's half-wife, or his half-brother's wife, I mean, uh, bothered Herod's wife the most. So she convinced Herod to put John in prison, and that's where he was until the day he was murdered. What's the cost of discipleship? can be very great throughout the history of church. The church, many, many have been in prison, uh, sometimes by oppressive governments, sometimes even by other so-called Christians. Disciples might be killed. You know, John was killed. Jesus was killed. Once we get into the book of Acts, we see Stephen stoned to death. We, we see the apostle James killed by Herod, another Herod, Herod Agrippa. You know, it, it continues on today. Uh, Gordon Conwell's Center for the Study of Global Christianity recently released its annual report on uh, the persecution of Christians, and the results are quite uh, startling, really. They, they found that as many as 90,000 Christians died for their faith last year. Uh, I think that's about once, one every six minutes. You know, we, we need to count the cost of, of discipleship. Well, let's wrap this up. Uh, you know, Mark, Mark sandwiched the story of John the Baptist in between the, the story, the, the first and the last of the disciples being sent out. You know, we see that as Jesus, we as, as Jesus' disciples need to represent him. We are sent by him as they were. We are to bring the, the gospel to those around us, to the world. And, uh, you know, our, our words, our, our conduct should point people to Jesus, should cause people to think about Jesus. We need to speak the truth about who Jesus is. There are so many misconceptions these, misconceptions these days. You know, we also need to, with humility and gentleness, speak the truth about sin. You know, sin is what separates us from God. Sin is what Jesus died for. You know, we, we need to speak the truth, but in love. Uh, Jesus came to bring reconciliation, to bring restorations, you know, and, and the Bible talks about how as Christians we are given the ministry of reconciliation. We're given the uh, task to lead people to Jesus, the, the great reconciler. And finally, we need to count the cost of discipleship. 
What does it cost to be a disciple? You know, as we follow in the steps of our Lord, you know, we, we very well may face rejection. Uh, many, many countries around the world, Christians face imprisonment and, and even death because of their faith. Let's pray. Pray with me. Oh Lord God, we, we thank you so much for your, your love, your great love that you have for us. And um, you know, as, as we follow you, Lord, as your disciples, uh, let us be faithful in, in being ambassadors for you, Lord. We, we want to bring the message of, of reconciliation to a, a world that has turned its back on you, people who are, are lost in sin and who need you so desperately. Lord, give us the courage to stand up for you, just to stand up and, and proclaim the, the good news of salvation in, in Jesus Christ. Uh, we, we pray, Lord, for our, our brothers and sisters around the world who are being persecuted, many tortured, many murdered, for their testimony, for their witness of you. Lord, I pray that you give them your grace, your power, that they might endure. We just pray this in the wonderful and powerful name of of Jesus. Amen.